And remember, when we are stripped of our humanity through an injustice, oppression, or a trauma or a loss or a grief, we don't feel safe, right, in the world. And our body's trying to protect us. It puts us in a hypervigilant state. When we activate that ventral vagus, we actually are giving our body the message, you are okay in this moment. You are safe. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production, which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My Belly Slim Down Guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown, and the link will be in the show notes. Joy is a fundamental human right that's available to any of us, all of us, at any time to claim. Now, I don't know about you, but experiencing moments of joy is everything, and its practice is what I'm committed to every single day. And what I have found for myself is that practicing gratitude invites more spontaneous moments of joy into my life. And over the past year, as my desire to feel more joy has expanded, I have been seeking amazing experts to dive deeper into the power of joy and why joy is our birthright. Now, I am so grateful to author, doctor, mother, and activist, Dr. Thamit Sethi, for writing her brilliant and powerful book, Joy is My Justice. And I'm honored to bring her onto the show today. Now, if you've ever thought that joy was elusive, today, Dr. Thamit is going to help you rewrite that story and offer ways to cultivate more joy in your life because simply, you deserve it. Now, before we dive in, I just want to share a little bit more about Dr. Damit Sethi. She's a board-certified integrative and psychedelic medicine physician who has devoted her career to caring for the most vulnerable and teaching physicians how to care for these communities in the most humane and skillful way possible. She's spent the last 25 years on the front lines of practicing primary care, global trauma, and community activism. Her first book, Joy is My Justice, presses a whitewashed wellness world to acknowledge its non-inclusive platitudes and explore how joy is a revolutionary healing practice and that it is a human right accessible to all of us. She lectures globally and has spoken on two TEDx stages. Let's welcome her to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, The Meet. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm so good. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I'm honored to be here. Mm, I am so excited as well because I feel like this conversation, this book that you have coming out, 
joy as an act of justice. This is the conversation that we need to be happening having right now because I feel like so many people are not cultivating or just lost without joy. What I would love to do to kick off this beautiful conversation with you is just kind of talk a little bit about your defining moment when you knew this was a topic that you felt called to share with the world. Yeah. You know, I felt like it it really is culminating over time in terms of my practice. I really feel like, you know, they call me an integrative primary care physician, but really what I'm doing day in and day out in every room is really navigating spiritual disconnection and a loss of meaning and joy for my patients. And that comes out in all their physical symptoms and chronic diseases. And then, you know, my activism in the world has been really largely connected to advocating for my marginalized communities to get more access to healthcare and joy and meaning. But it all really culminated for me in the moment when my own son was diagnosed with a fatal condition, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which for the listeners is like an ALS for children. And in that moment, I knew that I cognitively could push through, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to thrive and I wanted to know how could I have joy when this was unchangeable? There was no way I could protest my way out of it or advocate in a courtroom or an exam room or with an insurance company. And this time I really needed to figure out how to find joy within myself. And did that start that pursuit? Was it really digging deep? kind of asking the right questions. How did you, I would say a lot of parents would say they would absolutely not know how to cultivate that. That's such a big diagnosis to for anyone to get, but also for a mama to have to take on. Yeah. Well, first I would say to anyone out there, it's one step at a time. And I couldn't, I didn't figure it all out right away. And I don't think any of us do that. We do it slowly with support and love and connection and with uh, the love of people around us and a good team. But I think in that very first moment, the story is actually in the book. And in that first moment of my husband and I sitting with our heads and hearts and our literally on the ground, on the bench, on our porch, trying to figure out how did this happen to us? You know, how did just in one moment my life change so catastrophically? There was a a moment in there where we were questioning why us, why my son, his name is Zubin, why Zubin, why this disease? And there was a moment of realization in some way of why not us? And it didn't change everything right away. But what that question, why not us, why not me did was open us up to connecting with all of humanity who suffer and have to suffer through unchangeable and unjust, unfair diagnoses or loss or oppression or trauma. And it put us right in the shoes, as you will, or in the hearts of others. And it really opened us up. And I think in those moments, you want to close down, right? You just want to escape and be done. And in that moment, it opened us up to say, why not us to lead through this with joy? Mm, I was going to say, what a perfect question to ask yourselves. It's such a massive reframe major reframe. It just opens the door to so many other possibilities when you shift that question to why not us? Maybe this is happening for us. Maybe these were the lessons that we came in in our soul contract to learn. Maybe because we have this capacity, 
there is something that we get to take away from this that we can then share with the world, you know? But yeah, in the moment, oh my gosh. Yeah. And even when you say all of that, Marisa, I really resonate with all of it. And then I know that in that moment, I would have cursed you out if you said that to me. Right. I would have felt like that's just bullshit, really. And I still do. When people say this is for the, all the right reasons or whatever, I really don't believe that. I believe we make our own meaning. That's the justice and joy practice is that I get to, no matter how unfair or unjust a moment is, I have the right to pull out a way to form meaning and love and joy in that experience. I have the right to have more expansiveness around that narrow story, right? And so that's really what a lot of these tools and a lot of my book is about is that it is our innate right to feel a wide continuum of emotions and not be narrowly bogged down in just the grief or just the sadness. Those are all important and I never don't acknowledge them. And that's part of a true joy practice, but I acknowledge them in a more expansive way with my joy practice. I really appreciate breaking that down for me in a way that can really relate to so many other people because you're right. When you when you're when you're given an unchangeable situation and it just feels like, why did this happen to me? The last thing you want to hear is someone saying, Well, yeah, maybe this was always meant to be, you know, and like, and so yeah, I can imagine that is not helpful. But I love the perspective, like we get to choose how we get to act on this situation, how we get to view the situation, how we get to embody this into the way that we live in our life and particularly around joy. Now, I have a definition of joy and I'm curious because I haven't read your book yet. I'm so excited. I'm not going to share it yet, but it's really leaning to the one of the questions that I know a lot of people have confusion around, which is, is there a difference between joy and happiness? And if there is, which I believe there is, and I know that you have a beautiful definition, you, what is it? Like, how can we distinguish joy from happiness? Yeah. Well, on, I'm going to answer that in two parts. One is that in terms of defining joy, what you'll see in the book, what I really realized, I racked my brain to find a definition. And what I found was that if I define joy, I was only conforming to the same oppressive systems that try to strip my joy away from me. And that actually joy is everybody's right to define themselves. And so I feel like where the inherent nuance is important is where's that difference between joy and happiness as you asked? Because for me, joy might be very different than it is for you. But the commonality is that happiness is a beautiful thing. Let me tell you, I want it all the time. I want it as much as I can get it, but it is not expansive enough to hold the wide continuum of what I experience in my life. And I mean that for everyone. It's not because it's my life. I'm just speaking for myself. Happiness is very binary. We're either happy or we're sad or angry or fearful or triumphant or, you know, whatever it is. But joy draws on the same deep well as our pain. It draws from that capacity for love and meaning. It's way more expansive than happiness. It's the reason you can be at a funeral for someone you lo you lost and love so much and feel so much heart pain. And in the same moment, laugh with someone you love who remembers something about them with you. It's the reason that we can feel grateful. For instance, my son Zubin, who we spoke of, you know, it's it's just not easy. I'm I'm 
frustrated every day. It's getting worse as we go along. You know, I'm sad, I'm fearful, I'm angry. And I'm grateful because he has taught me so much about unconditional love, so much about living here and expanding my story and my life in every moment. And I can hold that with the pain. Happiness doesn't allow me enough room or spaciousness to hold all that. And so there's this way that, you know, I I tell people all the time, I was much happier in my life before Zubin was diagnosed. And that's even with bouts of very severe clinical depression and so forth. But I had these bouts of thinking I was happy, but I've never felt as deeply joyful because joy is a deeply embodied experience that you can expand and create space with. And so that's really where I think the nuance is and why joy can be held even when we are suffering. That's just so profound and so powerful. I have a little bit of an obsession with joy. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you come on because I knew that you were going to expand my kind of definition of joy, what I felt joy was, and how I kind of imagine it is this spontaneous experience that we have that can be filled often with like awe and wonder in that moment. And so I have a little toddler son, he's two and almost two and a half, and I am in the rapture of his constant moments of awe and wonder and joy and elation over just the simplest, finding a rock, you know, finding a seashell, you know, hearing about what breakfast is going to be. It is not even that exciting. (laughs) Oh, but you know what you're touching on is so critical. I talk about this and that we, we talk about, I talk about awe and beauty and wonder. And what you're really saying is that you find joy when you connect deeply in a moment, either with yourself or with someone you love. And there's this way that joy erupts, as you say, and emerges. And there's a way that I definitely did not understand when my son was diagnosed, that by sitting in the pain, I could see the joy more deeply. And so that's what I mean about it drawing on the same well, because you can imagine the depths of love that you're describing for your toddler son are the same depths that would you love him that much that it would cause so much pain if anything happened to him or if he was suffering. That's a reflection of those same depths of love and the meaning that he brings to your life. So I love that way that you described it. It's really quite perfect. Oh, thank you. And I, and I love the, how you expanded it in such a beautiful way. And that really opens the door for wherever we're at in our journey to be able to experience more of it. Like you said, it, we deserve. It's a deserving. And I just love that so, so much because I don't think people feel that way at all. Not at all. And in fact, I talk about in the first part of the book, there's a part around not only defining your joy for yourself, but what are your ground rules that you'll use for yourself? And I offer mine only as a framework to come from, but everybody has to make their own. And it's funny you said that because one of my main ground rules is I deserve and choose joy. And I have to remind myself of that, that joy is innate. It's my human right. And, you know, growing up, I thought joy 
joy was I confused it with happiness in the sense of, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to get massages or manicures or anything like that. We didn't do those things. And those looked like what I thought joy were. They were a commodity that you had time and money for. And what I'm saying is that there's nothing in this book that requires time and money. It requires faith in yourself that you deserve this. You deserve the right to thrive because the systems that break us down in this life, whether they're systems of oppression or unfair diagnoses or what have you, they strip us of our humanity and our will and our capacity to thrive. And once you reclaim that, you reclaim power in your body. When I also think about it being, you know, we were grown, we were brought up with limiting beliefs and shame and um, everything was, pre- you know, how we were worthy was predicated on, you know, being a good girl or being a good boy or whatever, being productive, you know, not being like, whatever it may be, whatever that limiting belief and that because we aren't worthy, we don't deserve joy. We don't deserve joy and or happiness in our life. And I think a lot of people feel that too, like, and being oppressed, whether through a diagnosis or being brought up in a, an oppressed situation again, lending to that lack of worthiness as well, I feel can so hinder our thinking that we deserve joy. I know that I felt like I didn't deserve joy for so long in my life. And I definitely didn't know how to cultivate it. I felt like I was just stuck in a really crappy mindset and attitude because it just didn't seem and feel available to me. And one of the ways that I really shifted it was one, I began to believe that I deserved it. And two, I I really, one of my tools, I guess, and I know you have so many beautiful tools and we're going to get into your toolbox in just a second, but I I really leveraged gratitude. I always think of those two as kind of a, you know, we think of spirals, but often it's the downhill spiral, it's the, the spiral down. But I think of those two as the spiral up. Yes. And in fact, in the neuroscience research, they talk about that upward spiral that can be created by tools like gratitude. And actually, you know, what I, when I talk about gratitude in the book, I not only talk about its power, but I talk about exactly how to use it, even in those times of oppression and unchangeable suffering, how it's actually not a contrived or false or, you know, made up positivity. Because people will say, you know, isn't it just fake to have gratitude when you really feel like crap or when the world like it's falling apart all the time, it seems. Doesn't it feel like gratitude is just a fake thing? And I really go into that about how it actually is not by definition and how gratitude actually allows us to turn towards our life, to break down the resistance we have to what may be going on that feels challenging. And so those are the different kinds of ways that I really frame these tools both based on the neuroscience that really offers that reframe. It's just that we aren't offered that many times in the wellness world. We're offered a, if you can think your way positively out of this, you'll feel better. And that's just not really a fair qualification for people who have unchangeable situations. I love that you were able to go in and kind of show and demonstrate through the research and through neuroscience that gratitude isn't just some kind of fake, false positivity way of operating and, and I guess it reaffirms that it's a great tool for me. It's worked for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and actually the justice is that if it's worked for you, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, right? Right. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk a little bit about one of the questions that you address big time, because it is when people are stuck in an unchangeable situation or they grew up 
you know, in marginalized communities, or they have been dealing dealt with oppression, dealing with oppression, again, thinking that they don't deserve it. Talk to me about not only do does everyone deserve this, this is our innate right, but also that it's critical, especially when we're in these particular circumstances. Yes, because what injustice does and what oppression does is strip us of our humanity, strip us of our willing, our ability to see that we deserve to be here, that we are sacred beings who have value just like everyone else. And so joy actually becomes a liberation, a liberatory practice in our body. It's a way for us to stand up in this world and say, I not only deserve to be here, I deserve to thrive. And I deserve to feel the expansiveness and ease of joy, that safety in my body. And nothing you have given me or do can take that away. Yes, resources have been taken away. Yes, my rights around many things can be taken away, unfortunately. Let's keep working to change that. But... Nobody can take away my joy. And that's actually another nuance of why happiness and joy are so different because happiness is external. It comes from external things and it's great, but joy is inside our body in those spontaneous wondrous moments you described and no one can take it away. And when I practice my joy, even in in my cultural Guilt, for instance, my limiting belief in my culture is that mothers must suffer if their child is suffering. If I were happy, it would mean that I'm not grieving enough for my child, you know, or that I'm not caring or loving my child enough. But I'm a woman who deserves to feel joy no matter what's happening in front of me. And so that's the way that I get to use joy as an act of resistance, as bold liberation in my body, where maybe the truest justice actually lives. That's so powerful. Wow. And you're right. You 100% absolutely, unequivocally get to live in as much joy as you can possibly, you know, expand into. And I just love that it being our, I just love that it's, we deserve it, that it's our right. And my goal for 2023 is to expand deeper and deeper into more joy, cultivating more joy and looking for more of the awe and the wonder. And one of the ways that I have chosen to do that, although I'm so excited to dive deeper into your toolbox, which I'm excited to dive into right now, but is through gratitude. So that was the one thing I had learned is like, how do I access more of this, you know, the awe and wonder, this beautiful feeling, because it just, it feels so encompassing. And I thought, okay, you know, I did some research because <laughs> I'm a researcher by trade and gratitude was what I found to be the ticket, but I know that there's other ways that we can access it. And so I'm really excited to talk about that. Yes. There are so many ways. Where, where do you want to start? Ooh, how about your, your favorites? <laughs> Well, one of my favorites is actually um, really stepping into your body in movement. There's actually, I don't know if you're aware of the movement research that really shows that when we move our muscles, and I don't mean exercise, I mean just moving in the way that gives you joy, whether that's walking, dancing. For my son, it's shaking in his wheelchair or spinning around, right? Whatever that is, whichever is accessible to you. 
that we actually secrete in anti-inflammatory molecules from our muscles called myokines and that researchers actually call them hope molecules. Kelly McGonigal is the one who first um, introduced me to that term in her work. And when I looked in the research thought, how did no one teach me this in medical school? That we're actually secreting things that the neuroscientists would call hope molecules, right? So the way we move our body, and I think of it as moving into the world, the way that we move and create and take up space. And there's a lot of research that if we do that with music in community, there are ways that we secrete oxytocin, which is a hormone that allows us to connect deeper and love more and create that river of joy. And I think about that. I don't know. Have you ever been at an outdoor concert dancing with a ton of people or in a time where everyone's sort of synchronized to a song, singing it or dancing? There's ways that we create that river of joy in our body and we feel it, but it's actually neurochemically doing that. That's so powerful. Yeah, we do. We have daily morning and daytime dance parties in our house. Oh, I love it. Mini dance parties. We just, oh, we're, we're all singing and dancing. And right now it's it's a lot of baby shark. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, but- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. And don't you feel like, you know, people will say, so, you know, if I move my body, does that mean I feel better? I don't know what you feel, but what I know, I often, um, I describe some movement meditations in the book, actually. I often sometimes cry when I do those and they're vibrant dancing and shaking to different music, but it's that it allows me to feel whatever there is there at the surface that needs to come out. And so it's not that joy is not about feeling always better. It's about feeling more connection, more power, a different kind of revolution in your body. I so resonate with that so very, very much. You know, it's what's why we do it in our home is it just feels so good. And it, it's so much fun to do it as a little family too, because we're kind of feeding off each other. There's like this joy energy that we're feeding off of. I don't know if there's research on that specifically, and I don't, I'm not sure if you dive into it in the book. Obviously, we can cultivate joy deep within ourselves, but do you talk a, lot, a little bit about that, the, the joy within community or the joy within family? Yes. Within community is what comes up in this context around movement and connection. And, you know, this way that we uh, really, I think it goes way beyond the neuroscience. This is my personal opinion, but I feel like metaphorically, when we move with community, whether that's in a group walk for a donation charity or whether it's dancing at an outdoor concert, or it's walking with your friend and talking. I think we want so badly to move out into bigger space, to create a bigger story, that that connection to others and other stories through music, through movement, allows us to create that more expansiveness. And so I talk about that in the book. And I really think that community, you know, for me and my faith and my culture, we sing in our uh, temple, which we call a Gurdwara, but we sing together as our 
prayer. And there's something about, there's a lot of science I talk about in the book around singing and humming and chanting, but there's a way that when I do that in community in my Gurdwara, I feel a joy that I don't feel anywhere else. I feel a communal kind of connection that gives me the knowing that I'm not alone. I can imagine as as people are listening right now that they know exactly I mean, everyone's got their own human experience, but they can relate to that feeling. And in fact, my husband was uh, loving this. I've made this playlist as one of my bonus. I made a playlist to go with the book. And it really draws on moments from the book. And um, my favorite thing is going to be to see if everyone can tell why every song is in there. But it's really, I will tell you, it was an exercise of joy for me to make that. Just making that and imagining that people might move or sing along or be in a car listening to this playlist. I felt more connected to my readers and they haven't even received it yet, right? Oh. Yes. Oh. Now, um, when it comes to the playlist, is the link for the playlist inside of the book itself or is it a part of your bonuses or is it It's both? a part of my bonuses on my website. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And we're going to have, just so you know, everyone, I'm going to make sure we're linking to the actual book bonus page where once you go and get the book, you have access to the bonuses that you can take action in that are a part of this beautiful book. Another tool that I know you talk a lot about is activating the vagus nerve of our central nervous system and how that helps to cultivate joy. And honestly, I never thought about it. I always think about the vagus nerve for helping to mitigate trauma, to mitigate the stress response system, to help support our heart rate variability. But I I'd never had expanded it out to joy. Yeah. So here's the way that that works is that when we activate, especially what's called the ventral vagus, and I go into that polyvagal theory a little bit in the book. And when we activate that ventral vagus part of the nerve, what we're doing is activating a, two things that really contribute to joy practice. One is we're feeling more safety. And remember, when we are stripped of our humanity through an injustice, oppression, or a trauma, or a loss, or a grief, we don't feel safe, right, in the world. And our body's trying to protect us. It puts us in a hypervigilant state. When we activate that ventral vagus, we actually are giving our body the message, you are okay in this moment. You are safe. We see that on functional MRIs by the fact that threat and fear centers in the brain are dampened and turned down and our areas for clarity and motivation and our ability to move forward are activated in our prefrontal cortex. So there's ways that I too will tell you that I do a lot of mind-body medicine with my patients and around the world in small groups, actually. And when I first started those practices, I thought of them as only relaxation and they are very important for that. But I now understand both through personal practice, through practice with thousands of patients, but also in the neuroscience, that when we, for instance, activate self-compassion, we are actually giving our brain and our body the message, you can stand down. It is okay. We are okay. Yeah, I always thought about you know, activating our vagus nerve as an opportunity to, I would say, sending the brain safety signals. Yes, yes. Especially, again, you're coming from a place of oppression or you have dealt with a lot of trauma where your brain is just doing the best it can to keep you safe. 
Exactly. Not necessarily working in your favor in terms of yes, cultivating exactly. joy and feeling good. Because actually you can't feel good because your brain is telling you you're unsafe. You need to be on threat. Marisa, I feel like you should have written this book with me. You're, you've got this all down. But yes, I mean, and I think you actually touched on something so important and central to what I'm hoping people will get, which is that you are not broken. You are not broken. The systems of this world and the injustices and the way it takes, the amount of work it takes to be human in this inhuman world is what allows our nervous system to protect us and make us feel hypervigilant, on threat and unsafe. And now these are just ways to say that has not served us now for when we feel that too long. It is time to recreate safety and ease in our bodies. I, we all deserve that. You have a, one of the things we hear a lot about today regarding resilience. And I know that you have a way of, in a sense, rejected kind of the wellness world's definition of resilience. And I'm just curious, you know, because we, when we think about like, when I, when I read about resilience, it's like having, kind of having a good vagus nerve, being able to in moments of stress, you know, be able to like channel in a way of, of telling our body that it's okay. But I would love to know, because I know that, you know, I guess, you know, in, in the way that we may define it, that it's something that we should potentially strive towards to having some level of resilience. But maybe there's a way that you define it that would embody more of a more holistic, more kind of embodied way of, of thinking about it. Yeah. So the way that I really think of resilience, it's actually what I think the way you framed it is perfect. The way that I don't appreciate it comes through is this sort of pushing through that you're able to withstand everything and that makes you resilience. In fact, I think of the way it's presented as resilience is what the world asks of you, but really your justice isn't how you choose to answer that because the world says you suffer and then you're asked to feel good. You know, aren't you okay? Aren't you through this already? If you thrive, you're asked to do more, right? But where's the spaciousness for the fact that my anger, my fear, my sadness are part of my resilience? That where did it become that my resilience is only because I'm able to push through and be okay or look okay. Now, I really think that the definition even is about you coming back to your normal. And I really think that when you look at the vast amount of science around resilience, the fact is that it's really, in my opinion, not a way to come back to normal, but a way to walk forward as a new person cellularly, spiritually, however this challenge has woven into you. And when I think of resilience, I think of first asking myself, what do I need today to feel my most resilient self? And if I need to tap into my anger so that I can do more advocacy and justice work, then that's resilience. So basically, you know, I know that when we, okay, so I love that. So when, when people may think of you as resilient, it could be a form of gaslighting in a way of just like kind of get yourself up, you know, dust it off. Obviously you survived it. You were stronger for it the dismissal. Exactly. And in, you know, in my profession as a physician, you know, we often, we have, to, I have wielded it this way. 
everyone wields it this way is that, you know, if someone, for instance, I teach residents, if one resident's not able to withstand quote unquote training and needs a break, then it's looked upon as they need this as they couldn't do it. And even though maybe supports are in place for them to do it, there's still a sense of they couldn't do it. And what if they are just so in touch with their nervous system and their body that they know when they need some rest? That is resilience. Knowing what you need at any time. I mean, if all of us could know what we need, we would be better off, right? But that's not what we think of many times. We think, can't you just do it? When I think specifically women. Yes. I mean, can't you just do it or do it anyway? Yeah. And how much can you do, right? Yeah. How much can you do? Like growing up, was that just, that's just the way it is for us. Yes. It doesn't matter how burned out you are. It doesn't matter how exhausted you are. You just got to get up and keep doing it because you need to show up for the people you're taking care of, you know, and, and that's technically resilience. Right. You know, and getting up every day and facing this world again is resilience. Whether you do that in tears, in yelling, in screaming, in fighting or in laughing, you know, you got up and you faced the world again, you know, and I'm not even it's not a, you know, give everyone a trophy kind of thing. It's a honoring of what it takes to be human in this world. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Gosh, it is (laughs) so many trials and tribulations for sure. And we get to, we deserve to cultivate joy throughout it, you know, how, whatever that looks like for us. And I know know that's the embodiment of this book. Is there one more tool that you would love to share? I love movement, gratitude, you know, connecting and really activating our vagus nerve. Anything else that you have found as a tool set? And what I love about these tools is that they're free and that they're doable. We can do them at home. You know, there's so many, but I I will focus on um, a couple of things. One is that I really want people to hopefully dig in and see how self-compassion is actually not a woo-woo thing. You know, I think it's gotten bad marketing, really, because it's really this way of creating safety, creating connection, turning off threat in your body and a way of saying, even when the world has not given me what I need or nurtured myself the way I deserve to be nurtured, I can love myself and accept myself in a way that allows me to still step back into this world. And that people, I think the biggest kind of mistake or something that I see is that people think if I'm self-compassionate, I won't reach my goals. I won't hold myself accountable. And what I would tell people, and I explain this in the book, is that actually I have never once in any dictionary found a definition of accountability that included shame or berating. That actually inherent in the definition of self-compassion is the fact of holding yourself accountable because there is no way that we would have compassion for anyone, including ourselves, if we didn't wish for better for ourselves. And in that process of wanting change, whether it's you want to do a new lifestyle habit or whether you just want to create more joy in your life, every time that we quote unquote slip up is just a chance for us to remember that we're human and that 
loving ourselves through that and still wanting better is actually the definition of compassion and love. That shame and guilt were never a part of it. And when we berate ourselves, we just turn on the threat. We actually in our brain heighten the amygdala and the fear centers. And we tell ourselves this world is not safe. And so imagine when we are already on threat, if we're telling ourselves that, how much heightened that can get. Well, and it just, it really steals from our deservingness of, of feeling joy. Exactly. And, and feeling good and, and feeling love. I deeply believe that we all deserve self-compassion and and again, I think it speaks into helping to create resilience to tackle another day. <laughs> when we have that compassion for ourselves, I feel like we can arm ourselves and our neurotransmitters with, with, with that opportunity to go and show up. And, it, and it's why I say loving yourself is a step towards your justice because, and you know, loving yourself can still mean that you accept you want better. Loving yourself can say, I accept that I want more and I love myself for trying to do that. That's so powerful. I being able to hold that today. So it's why I really say that self-compassion and loving yourself is a bold act of justice. It's a step towards your own justice, your own liberation and ease in your body because it's a way to create safety. And actually the science shows just the opposite of what people worry about, that if I'm not holding myself accountable, I won't achieve a goal. The, actually the science shows that the more you create that safety and connection in the body, the more your brain actually set, is being told, okay, it's safe. You can go forward and make change. That's so, so beautiful and so powerful. And I know that we, we deserve so much of that, um, not only loving ourselves and compassion, but I know that when we come through that, not only do we get to cultivate more joy, but also I feel like we have more depth for compassion for other people. Exactly. I swear you wrote this book with me. If you weren't, you were sort of with me somehow. <laughs> Maybe we were. it was meant to be that we get to be together today. That's what I know to be true. I kind of knew that. But uh, yeah, it is exactly why, you know, I know that my capacity for sitting in other people's suffering is amplified and heightened by my ability to sit in my own. And it's actually why when people say to me, I can't imagine what you're going through with your son, you know, that's a common thing to hear. And it comes from a place of love. I don't feel bad that people say it at all. But when I have the energy and it's a day where I have the energy to say it, I actually reply with, I would invite you to imagine imagine what it's like for me, because the more you can imagine my pain, the more you'll be able to imagine your pain. And actually imagination is a step towards justice. And so this idea that I can't imagine what you're going through, of course, none of us know what others are walking through, but we can all say, I want to sit in it with you. I want to be here in the pain or the joy with you. And imagining each other's pain is actually a beautiful, beautiful act. I love that you posed that question. I remember, you know, not only before stepping into motherhood, I we had had a miscarriage um, and I had had so many friends in my, in my life and colleagues and patients 
who had experienced that. And I, I knew what it meant to lose, to have loss. And I could feel that, but I just, my depth for women going through fertility journeys and going through loss and, and going through just the pregnancy, like all of that, like my compassion and my expansiveness for gosh, the female experience just magnified. And then my compassion for just for moms, you know, and my own mom and my grandmother's inadvertently so much trauma there, (laughs) but then having, just having compassion, but I am the mom who's on the playground or at the store or at the, at the airport who just has just endless expansion of compassion for every single mom out there. And so often it's not, it's never reciprocated. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You're the mom everyone wants to sit next to on the airplane for sure. Um, And I'll make comments and I'll say, because I just, I just have this, and you know, I always say that I, I serve everybody by serving women. And so I have always had this, you know, this, this compassion and this, um, this love of women's capacity in in general, but then becoming a mom, it just like up a hundred times fold it like out of, out of this world, like my level for compassion because of how much we carry in the mom journey. And, uh, but yeah, anywhere and everywhere, I just see moms, I see women, I see it's, I did my, I just see everything so differently today. And I'm so grateful for that because I just feel like, um, in my, in who I've become in my, my, um, neuro, the neuroplasticity, the way that I think my mindset and everything around compassion, particularly is is just multiplied from becoming a mother. And I, it's one of my favorite biggest things that I'm most grateful for in this journey was that it amplified my compassion in the world. I just know how powerful it is and just so grateful for that opportunity to have, because I I had so much trauma growing up and I was of this very limited mindset of like, well, I've had this really hard life. I've had these really hard, terrible things happen to me. We should all, and I, I think I had a really crappy way of thinking about resilience, a dismissive way of thinking about resilience of just like, you know, I've been through this. It doesn't seem like you've been through as much like you should be able to get over it. Obviously I shifted that many, many, many years ago. Everyone's trauma is their own trauma. And the way that we, no matter what kind of experiences you've been to, those are your experiences and they get to be what they were for you. But, you know, I've over the years have shifted in such a big way in terms of compassion. And I'm always open and available to experience more of that for people, because I know people are in their own human experience and they're dealing with their own stuff. And, and it can be so hard, you know, and, and it's never, a, never any right of mine to judge anyone's experience and just to come from a place of compassion and as great, a great of understanding as I can. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. I actually feel like in that beautiful share, I saw so many threads of this, what I would call a joy practice. I saw I heard gratitude, compassion, making meaning out of pain and suffering, compassion for others, sitting in our emotions, rewriting a bigger story than we were given. All of that are part of many of the tools in the sense of really being able to come to our lives in a different kind of way so that we can hold the pain, but also see the beauty. That was just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And I didn't mean to go off on that tangent. No, I think it was completely relevant. 
And it's been my, it's been this journey. And so, you know, I was thinking about, you know, and that's why immediately when I saw your book and I just was like, oh, it would be so incredible to have her on the show. Cause I feel like I'm in this journey right now. And obviously it's a never ending journey, but I'm so excited to get my hands on the book to expand the little that I've done just to be able to expand that into such a greater way. And through you know, operating in, in, in my own joy that maybe there's some, ex, there's some I, expansion for others, at least within my family. You know, I always think that joy can be contagious and I don't know. Yeah. It is infectious in the best of ways, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, it's why we say, you know, if you're around people who are happier or more joyful or, or whatever the habit is, you tend to do it more because it is contagious. There is that community effect. I agree. And there's a way that we were talking really it's full circle about joy in the beginning, the nuance that when you can hold that joy, it really allows, you know, I think the way you're describing joy and giving it to your family is what I hope for my family is that they can see me. My children see me cry. They see me fail. They see me get frustrated and angry. And they also see how grateful I am for those failings and for those learnings and how much I work at making meaning out of my suffering. And so, you know, that's a joy practice of the very most contagious kind is one that allows everyone else around you to also hold all that they're holding. Mm. It's a gift, really. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. To me, it's been the most incredible conversation. And I'm just so, I feel so much joy in this conversation, to be honest. Me too. If I just have chills, it just felt so, so good to get to share your brilliance with my community that this beautiful book is getting, it's, it's out now in the world. And so I know it's out where every, you know, every major bookstore, you know, obviously online, get it where you get in where you fit in, in terms of where you guys get your books. But the meat has a beautiful book bonus page where you can literally go, you know, put in your name, put your email in, let her know you got the book and then go and claim your bonuses. I will have the link in the show notes for both the book on Amazon and for the book bonus page as well. And where else would you love for us to tap into your brilliance? Oh, thank you. Other than my website, I'm really mostly active on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well, but Instagram's where I really connect with people personally. And I love to hear takeaways and and have people really reach out. So anytime. Oh, perfect. And we were thinking about doing a little giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. We were thinking um, for the listeners out there that if you tag both of us with your you know, biggest takeaways or one takeaway or more, then we uh, will select two random people to get a free copy of the book. That would be an honor. Yay. And we'll do this on Instagram. So I will have your, um, your Instagram handle inside of the show notes as well. I will also have my Instagram handle too. And so you guys can do it either post or story. And, um, and there are two books up for grabs. Oh my goodness. So exciting. It's very exciting. I'll have the details in the show notes for that as well. So, so generous. Thank you. Oh yeah. And Marisa, I just want to say thank you to you because um, it's a surreal thing to be on a podcast of someone who you've heard their voice so many times on their podcast. (laughs) 
and just really grateful for the work you do in the world and to have me on just feels like a gift, a really a moment of joy. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm just receiving that. And I just want to say thank you so much. It's been such an honor and such a pleasure. And I just cannot wait to devour your book. I'm going to devour it on Audible first because I'm a mama. I'm a mama and mama's got to get in where she, I just how I do it these days. And then I'm going to buy, when, when a book is this potent, when a book is this powerful, I have to have it in both. I have to have it on Audible and I got to have it on hard copy. So I am excited to consume it probably in like literally two days time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, it would be an honor. And I had a blast. I had so much fun narrating this book. I really um, felt like I was reading it too. I was imagining all the readers and really felt like I was just telling a story. It was so fun. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that you actually narrated it. It's not always the case. And so what a treat. It was a treat for me too. Well, thank you again. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. What excites me most about Dr. Thamit's message and her book, Joy is My Justice, is the paradigm shift that she's offering to each and every one of us, no matter what we're dealing with in our lives, that you get to experience your kind of joy as a revolutionary act. Joy is available to each of us here and now, and each of us get to find ways to access it for ourselves. For me, it's gratitude and being in the energy of feeling good. I know that operating in feel-good energy opens me up to endless possibilities and many moments of awe and wonder. And I want as many moments of awe and wonder as I can experience. Now, if joy has been elusive, but you want to start accessing more of it, literally starting today, I implore you to go and grab a copy of Joy Is My Justice. This book is amazing. I literally have just started it on Audible. I love it. It's powerful and profound. And I will tell you, it will change the way that you think about how you operate in your everyday life. Now, I'm going to have a link to Amazon and to Dr. Thamit's website for the book bonuses in case you want to get all of it, which I highly recommend. As I mentioned, I always start a book on Audible and then I often buy the hard copy if it has a lot of tenets that I know that I'm going to want to highlight. And this is one of those books. So I hope that you loved this interview today, that it opened up possibility for you. And if it did, please go and subscribe to the show and take a moment and rate the show. Take it so that more women have the ability to not only find it, but then also become the CEO of their health, whether it's within their hormone health, their mindset health, their emotional well-being, whatever it is that they're looking to really kind of transform onto the other side. Until the next episode, have a wonderful day. 